Well, we've been in a series called Home Words, and if you've missed any of these home words, I just got to challenge you right now to go online to our website, albanync.org, or follow us on our podcasts. Um, we have talked about hope for our homes, how that really is the foundation upon which transformation takes place, because home words are about words that transform our home, and we all need hope. Hope that our best days are still ahead of us as a family. Then we talked about healing words, words that help bring healing to our home, like forgiveness. And the challenge was have that difficult conversation with somebody that you need to forgive. We talked also about blessing, how we all need to have that sense of parental blessing and how important that has been as parents to bless our children and how those really are healing words. Then we talked last week, Stephen shared with us the key to honoring honoring our family members, honoring our parents, and how honor is a healing word for our homes. And today I want to introduce the the next phase of our words, which are building words, words that help build now our home. Uh, We want to be transformed, but that's only going to happen by the power of God in our homes through hope and forgiveness, through blessing and honor. But I want to talk about a word that also is critically important to help build our homes, and that word is truth, truth. Two men were having a disagreement over a matter, so they went to a judge to have their arbitration carried out by the judge. And the plaintiff stood up and began with very persuasive words to make his case before the judge. And when he was done, the judge said, well, that's right, that's right. Well, the defendant jumped up and said, hey, judge, wait, you haven't even heard my side of the story. So he gets up and he, he persuasively tells his side of the story, makes a very solid case. And at the end of it, the judge says, well, you're right. You're right. To which the county clerk jumps up and says, judge, they both can't be right. And the judge said, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that a picture of our culture today? when it comes to our view of truth. Everybody's right. Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. In fact, you may have heard it said, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Let's apply that statement to the events of 9-11. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Those terrorists were very sincere in their belief. I believe a very misguided belief. And as they flew those jets into buildings on our soil, can I tell you that when they were about to face their death, they weren't afraid because they truly believed that through their act of terror, they would wake up in paradise, surrounded by a harem of beautiful women because Allah would be pleased with them doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. Here's something I know, friends. There's a lot of sincere families in our community today who are smiling ear to ear as the jet of their family life is about to experience a terrible collision that will have collateral damage that will affect many people. When it comes to our families, sincerity alone can cause you terrible destruction. We have to have truth. We have to have truth. And the reality is that we know that when it comes to our home, we don't often intentionally build our houses and our families upon truth. But here's the question. What what is it that you base your judgments on as a family? In fact, let's rephrase the question this way. What system of belief is informing the decisions that you make and the actions that you take? As it comes to your family home, what what system of belief is informing those decisions and and the, the actions that you take? Because our homes are a lot like computers. Let me explain. Computers have an operating system, and for all you Windows users, again, you have my sympathy, but we all have an operating system. If you have a computer, it has something upon which it processes information and how it performs. And you know that if you own a computer, what are you doing about every other week? Especially if you're a Windows owner, you're doing it daily. What is it? You're you're updating the operating system. 
because some kind of vulnerability has been found or some kind of an error was created, and so they continue to release an update so that if you stay on their system of maintenance, your computer will function properly because it has an operating system that will help process information and determine how it will perform. In your homes, you have an operating system that determines how you process information and how as a family you'll perform. But some of your operating systems are very outdated. Or some of your operating systems have become corrupt. And today I want to talk about the reality that many families face today, the reality of not feeling like you have a solid foundation upon which to make wise decisions for your kids, for your grandkids, for your marriage. And this is how critical truth is. And so we talk about this home word today of truth. Don't just blow me off because you got to listen. You know that some of your greatest family pain has happened because of an absence of truth. You know it to be true. So we can't just blow this off as, you know, just something my pastor is paid to say. Because this is life-changing. This is a principle not just spiritually for you individually. This is a principle for your family. And so the question is, well, what is truth then? Right? Because today, what do we have? We have what we like to call individual belief. You, you just need to believe what you believe. That's okay. Everybody has the right to believe. We all just all get along, right? I'm okay with getting along. I'm okay with disagreeing with people who don't view things the way I view it. But let me tell you this. I need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, there is an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. And it has been timeless. And it is founded not on some kind of idea from a scholar. It is founded from the God who is truth. So what is truth? If you were to look it up in the dictionary, this is what you would find. It would basically say that truth is a transcendent or an unrivaled fundamental or spiritual reality. Transcendent means bigger and beyond you. Okay? There is a truth, friends, that is broader than us, that is broader than our lifetime. There is a truth that is timeless. And this transcendent or God-ordained truth is an unrivaled truth. There is no other God, no other religion that can back up the validity of this truth that we find in the Word of God. And it is a reality. But is it a reality in your home? Is it a reality in your truth, in, 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 in your life personally? In fact, Jesus talks about this truth. In fact, he's, he's about to face the cross, one of his most painful and grueling events. He's been betrayed by a close friend, by a disciple. He's in the garden praying, and in John 17, we get a view of his prayer, of how he prayed for his disciples. And smack dab in the middle of that prayer, he says this, sanctify them with your truth, or by the truth, your word is truth. See, Jesus knew the power of truth. There's a couple of things that we can see in this little prayer that he prayed. Because anytime Jesus prays, I want to pay attention to what he's saying, right? Anytime he's talking, I want to pay attention to what he's saying because he is also the embodiment of truth. Who was Jesus, right? John tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So when it comes to truth as Christians, we have the Bible, which is the word of truth, the word of God, and we also have Jesus, the word made flesh. And then we also have within us as believers the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, guides us into all truth. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. What is that word? I know sanctify is a churchy word. You don't use it like around the coffee pot at at the office, do you? You don't use sanctify. You use it in these kind of settings. But what does it mean? In a nutshell, it basically means to change. It's a lot deeper than that, but let me just give you the Reader's Digest version of it. It means to change. It means to be transformed. It means to become more like God. Okay, The true idea is to be set apart toward God. So if you want your families to change, if you want transformation to happen, sanctification is the fancy word we use, it happens through truth. And that's what Jesus prayed. He said, your disciples, these guys you gave me, sanctify them. Lord knows we all need it. Sanctify them. Change them with your truth. And here's the thing about your family and the thing about you individually that you know to be true. That truth has a transformational power in our lives. 
In fact, put it this way, truth is the fuel for the change in your family. Truth is the fuel for the change that you want to see in your family. As gas for a car or as powder for a firework or as food for our bodies, truth is the fuel that brings change into your home and then brings lasting change into your home. And we want our homes transformed. That's the whole idea behind this series. But how's it going to happen if we are not basing that on truth? Jesus said, change them and change them by your truth. So do you want a strong family? Do you, do you want a family that's going to pass the tests of life? Do you want a solid marriage in which you and your spouse deeply are committed and love each other under God's leadership? Do you want your children to grow up to be responsible adults, but not only that, but to be moral agents of truth in a world that is godless today? Friends, then we have to understand the necessity of truth. We have to have that foundation of truth which creates the wisdom that will guide us through life. And if we don't, if we're building our families on any other kind of foundation, then watch out when the storms come, because that's what Jesus warns us about. Why don't you open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 7. Jesus has been preaching for quite some time the greatest sermon of all. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a collection of teachings of Jesus that he had preached when he was beside the Sea of Galilee on a mountainside. He was teaching his disciples and all of those that would hear, and he covered a lot of important topics for Christian living that I encourage you, if you haven't read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I mean, that's like the core foundational truths of Jesus boiled down for us as followers of his. But as he comes to the close of the sermon, I find it interesting, his closing illustration. As he's been preaching, he he comes to a point where he talks about false teachers. He talks about those who will bring lies and spread lies in the church. He talks about falsehood, right? And right on the heels of that, as he's closing out the message of truth that he has shared and warned of those who will come and pervert that truth, he tells a parable. The parable goes like this. I'm sure you've heard it. You may even know the hand motions from a childhood song you learned in Sunday school. Well, the story goes like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We love singing the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. But in this parable, we see a couple of things as it pertains to our family life, because parables, while they are, are true principles of Jesus, they, are, they have multiple applications for your life, personally, certainly, but I believe it has a very strong application for our family especially talking about the things upon which we will build our family. And so in this parable, we see there are two kinds of families, right? We see there's a family that will build its life upon a rock. Rock is truth. It's solid. It's stable. It's something you can sink your your anchors into, okay? So when we talk about rock, we're understanding it is truth. But then there's the families who build their house on the sand. Now, I don't know what sand, I mean, you could say it's lies, okay, if you were were just to contrast it, but that sand could be also just apathy. That sand could be neglect of not doing what you know you should do. It could just be neglect. I don't know what that sand is, but here's what I know about sand. It's not very solid. Many of you, as I have as a child in Oregon, have stood where the water meets the beach at the Oregon coast. And as you stand there in that rather cold water, and as the waves come in and go back out, what happens to your feet? It sinks. And as you stand there long enough, you'll discover that it will eventually make its way up your legs because the sand shifts. It's not solid. When I think about this from a family perspective living in today's society, I recognize that 
truth is having a biblical worldview, looking at everything in life through the scope of Scripture and saying, God, I believe that your word is truth. And that means as a family, we're going to build our values and our decision-making based on that. But I know that also there are families who have built their life on sand. And that sand is the cultural message that shifts over all of the generations. I mean, you and I have watched America continue to change its mind, haven't we? Initially, our nation was founded upon biblical principles. You look back at some of the early documentation of our, of our forefathers, and you kind of recognize there was at least a moral bearing that was anchored in truth. But then over the span of time, our country has decided to shift. And now we, we don't believe there's any absolute truth. In fact, we like to say that there is individual truth. Everybody can just kind of choose what they want to believe. And you certainly have the right to choose what you want to believe. But there is an absolute truth, friends, out there, which we will be called accountable to. Especially those of us who say we're followers of Jesus. So there's two kinds of families. Which is yours? The family built on sand or built on the rock? We also see this parable, though, there's only one, one kind of experience, one common experience that happened to both. So you can say it's the same experience that happens to families built on rock or built on sand. And what is that similar event? It's a storm. And you and I know what those storms feel like in our family life. Every one of us could probably look back in a, in a point in our family history where the storms had reached the shores of our family life. It might have been a financial storm where you had some hardship you didn't see coming financially and that racked, it kind of rocked your world a little bit as a family. It could have been a physical problem where there was an illness that came upon somebody in your home. It could have been a, the death of a loved one and we all have felt those physical storms take place. Maybe it was a more relational where there was a divorce that just simply occurred and ripped your home apart. Or maybe it was fighting among siblings. Or maybe if you're not living in the home in which you grew up, it's it's extended family relational problems that come into the life and create storms. Or maybe it's emotional. Things just aren't right, and that storm of emotion comes into your home. What happens? That, that event happens to all of us. Churches, families that believe in Jesus, families that don't. All of us experience storms. And we see in this parable that event happens to both, those built on the rock and those built on the sand. And I know it's hard for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that we're still going to face difficulty as families, that it's still going to hurt. But here's the bottom line for Jesus. While there are two families with two kinds of foundations, there's one common experience, but there's two outcomes. For those families who have decided to build, their, build their, themselves, their lives upon the truth when the winds beat against that house and the rains fall and the waters rise, yes, there might be some shingles lost, there might be some water damage, but guess what's going to happen to that house? It stands firm. And friends, I can tell you that in my home, as a growing, growing up as a child, uh, I have observed storms come and hit our house. Not physical, but I've seen storms of financial things, storms of medical emergencies. I've seen all kinds of storms occur in my home of upbringing. And I can tell you that it has been absolutely faith-building for me to watch how my parents chose to respond to that because they were anchored in the truth. And they stood upon the truth of God, and they were praying about the situation. And even though it hurt, even though the pain was still there, even though there was damage, perhaps, even to things within our family, we weathered that storm. But some of you grew up in households where you were anchored in sand. And when those things happened, the family totally collapsed and fell apart. And today, it's not even something that you feel like you can reconcile. Two kinds of outcomes. The difference wasn't the storm. The 
difference was the foundation. Jesus' point was, you, you can hear me all you want, but if you don't put this into practice, if you don't begin to do this in your family, if you don't begin to say, you know what, we're going to drill down deep, we're going to anchor ourselves in the truth of Scripture, then you're going to be that other family. And here's the thing I know and you know. It's easy to build a house on sand. In fact, you can build a house on sand a lot faster. And your house can look just like a house of somebody who built it on a rock. And we enjoy building sandcastles because that frees us up to kind of do other things in life that are more self-satisfying. So we build all of our sandcastles, and it looks good, and the neighbors like it. We got a nice look to everything, and everything's fine until a storm comes. And then you have those who, it takes time to build your house on a rock, doesn't it? You got to drill down. You got to spend time intentionally to get anchored. You got to take time in that foundation, working it. And a lot of work is done even before you construct the walls of your home. And then when the construction of the house starts, you know what? Your house might look just like the house built on sand. And folks might shake their head at you and say, man, what a waste of time. Look at all the fun things you missed because you spent so much time drilling down deep and anchoring your family in the rock bed of truth. But then they watch your family go through a storm. And they see your family stand. And they go, how are you guys even able to do that? How? Because you were anchored in the truth. It might seem like a waste of time to some people to anchor yourself in truth, but once you do, it makes all the difference when those storms come. So how? The question becomes practically, how? How do we apply this truth then to our home? If it makes all the difference in the world, how do we do this? How do we build our family on truth? So let me give you some practical how-tos, and then we'll wrap it up. Building your family on truth requires persistence. Persistence. What is persistence? It's basically a tenacity. It's having a firm grip on the idea that we are going to build our family on truth. And if, you're, if building family on truth was easy, everybody would be doing it. But the reality is it's not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes intention that's why persistence is absolutely necessary. Let me, let me show you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes these letters to Timothy. He writes two of them, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He's writing these letters to Timothy, who is a young pastor. And in his instructions to Timothy, he's telling him kind of how to lead his church and also kind of speaking individually into his life. And I think we can listen to what he's saying to Timothy and recognize as though he was speaking to us as parents and grandparents of how we can apply some of these same principles into our families. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it'll be on the screen here for you. He says this, Timothy, keep reminding, keep reminding. That, that word means keep on, keep on, keep on reminding. That means don't stop this. It's not say it once and it's good. It's keep on reminding them. That's persistence. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So it's going to take persistence to build your family on the truth. In this passage, we see a couple of areas that we have to persist in. And they might not seem very important at first blush, but as we take a stronger look at these, we're going to recognize how important they really are for your home. And the first one is this, persistence to stop quarreling about words. See what it says there, right in the first half? Warn them before God against quarreling about words. You ever seen this happen in the context of your home? Quarreling about words? What this basically means is arguing over petty little things. Now, I'm sure you have never argued about which way toilet paper is supposed to go on the roll. I'm sure that you have, have never argued about how to properly place the toilet seat when you are done using the bathroom. I'm sure you have never argued about how furniture should be placed. I'm sure none of us have, have found ourselves arguing over the silliest little things. In fact, I have children, you have children. Isn't it annoying as parents when our kids argue over such silly things? In fact, my kids get just mad at each other over, and, and I'll stop and remind them, say, you know what, let's stop for a minute and think about, this is what you are fighting over. 
Isn't this silly? But here's the truth, friends. We squabble over these petty things because there is a real problem that we're avoiding. And if we were to apply the truth to that real problem, our squabbling might come to an end. But instead, we fight the little fights rather than applying the truth to the big deal. What do we call this? We call this dealing with surface surface issues rather than the cause or the root of the problem. And in your family, you know that you fight and you squabble with your spouse over petty things because there are bigger issues that are lying there. It's a cancerous tumor that's growing in your family. But we don't want to turn our eyes toward that because that's going to require truth. Instead, it's comfortable to squabble over petty little things. He says, don't do that. Because it ruins those who listen. How many know that even as kids, you watched maybe your parents squabble over little things and it caused a little bit of concern in your own heart, maybe even fear about the certainty of your family. Boy, they're really fighting over something really kind of silly. What is going on? It ruins those who listen. Produces fear in their hearts. In fact, the, the word that says it ruin is actually, it's the Greek word katastrophe. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody else? The same word upon which we build our English word catastrophe. Fighting over and squabbling over little things, petty issues, words, small things. It has an ability to bring catastrophe to your home. So persist to stop squabbling and fighting over petty little things in your home and pay attention to what is the real problem and apply the truth there. Which I know it takes persistence. And some of the other things we're going to talk about here in a moment. But also we're to persist to prioritize the word of God because he goes on to say, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. God knows how you are handling his word of truth. He knows. For some, you only handle the word of truth when you go to the shelf, dust it off to bring it to church with you on Sunday. He knows how we're handling the word of truth. And here's what I know about a lot of Christians today. They are ashamed about how much they know about the Bible or how little they know of the Bible. And here's why this has happened. We're not drilling into the truth ourselves. We get little appetizers from Hope Radio and K-Love. And I'm not against Christian radio, but we get little nuggets here. Or we go to church and we get a little nugget there. And we think somehow these little nuggets are going to somehow create in us and in our family an ability to stand upon truth when storms come. But can I tell you that the average family who comes to church here at Oak Creek comes maybe twice a month? That means your children and your youth are maybe getting three hours of scriptural biblical training. And nothing may be happening at home. Because you're not rightly, correctly handling the word of truth. And it means basically to be diligent, to present yourself before God as one who is approved, who doesn't need to be ashamed. But people say, Kelly, you don't get it. Our life is too busy. We don't have time to correctly handle the word of truth. I find it interesting. We always manage to have time for the things that are most important to us. Isn't it true? We stand out in the rain to watch a soccer game because that's important to us. And we give up two to three hours of our day. (laughs) We will make time for what's important. Are you rightly handling the word of truth? Are you correctly handling? In fact, the King James translation I learned when I was a kid, I memorized this verse as a child, and it says rightly dividing the word of truth. That means to cut it straight. Now, how many of you out there, speaking of our squabbles over simple things, have ever argued about how the cheese was cut at home? Now, we have to have an adult conversation here about cutting cheese just for a minute, okay? So put the middle school elementary jokes aside when we talk about cutting cheese here, all right? 
you know what happens when somebody hacks the cheese, right? That means when you're going next time to make a sandwich or do whatever, you're going to have a lopsided piece of cheese. Because I don't know about you, I, I have to cut it straight. I mean, I don't, I don't, get, I don't get like the level out. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not breaking out tools, but I do like to make sure it is cut straight. Because I want the next person who approaches that block of cheese to have a straight slice of cheese. Now, you know that when it comes to issues in your home besides cheese, it's important to cut it straight. Some of you, as you think about what you allow to come into your homes via entertainment, media, you need to learn how to cut it straight and call what it is what it is. And ask the question, why in the world would I ever let this into the life of my home or my children? you got to cut it straight. When it comes to your, your child who begins to be interested in, in relationships with friends, and you kind of look at the friends they're hanging out with, and you got to learn how to cut it straight when it comes to who's going to have influence with your children. You need to look at the dating relationships your son or daughter is interested in having. you got to look at those and learn how to cut it straight you got to look at issues within your own marriage, things that you know you need to correct. You need to learn how to cut it straight. But the problem is none of us know how to rightly handle the word of truth. And so we have jagged edges of stuff in our homes. We're not cutting it straight. So building your family on truth is going to require persistence, hanging in there. It's not going to be easy. It takes time to cut things straight. It takes, those, it takes time to explain to your kids why we're not going to do that. It takes time to cut it straight when it comes to your family scheduling and say, no, kids, we're going to cut it straight and say this is enough of the silliness of being busier than all get out and never having time to know each other. We're going to cut it straight. But it takes time to have those conversations. It takes time to say no to the pressing needs that come upon us as families. But we've got to learn how to cut it straight. Because it's going to require persistence to do that. Also, building your family on truth requires correction. If you're going to cut it straight, then somebody's going to get cut. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. So it's going to require correction. And Paul goes on in a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, Well, we ought to just pay attention to that right now when it comes to what we deal with in in battling culture. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, those who don't see it the way you see it, must be harshly rebuked, right? Does that know what it says? No, it says gently instructed. Gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. Some of you, I I know, maybe the home you grew up in was built on the rock, but you felt like you were on the chopping block all the time when it came to decisions you were making because it wasn't handled gently. Truth at home was dispensed harshly, and it was hard to get that. Friends, there's... When the truth is revealed in our homes, it's going to require correction. But the question is how you go about correcting when it comes to your teenager, when it comes to a different view you have with a sibling who's now maybe an adult raising their own family, and you you see a difference of opinion on how to do stuff. Gently is the way we approach this. Because here's what I know. When When I begin to rightly handle the word of truth, I'm partnering with God. This is God's word. And, and, and what I know about God is he wants me to rightly handle the word even for my family even more than I do. He wants his word handled correctly. And he tells us how to do it. He says gently, with kindness. Because not many of you want to come under correction when somebody is harshly yelling at you, red-faced and pointing fingers in your direction. Who wants to go with that? Oh, thank you, Father for correcting me with the word of truth so harshly, I will quickly do what you've asked. Never. 
But here's what I know also about God's word. As we apply it to situations in our home and we cut it straight, God has an ability to work on his word even more than we do, obviously, because it's his word. And what's his goal? What's it say? That in the hope that God will grant them what? Repentance. No one's going to change until they come to the realization they need to do it, right? That's repentance. Repentance, which then what? Leads them to a knowledge of truth. The reality is when you have an opposing view with somebody and you present the word of God, unless there's repentance on their part, they're not going to acknowledge that is true, right? But in the home, we need to be faithful to present the truth in how we're going to make decisions as a family or when it comes to our kids. There are times I've had some hard conversations with my own children in, in contrast with the word of God. It's not easy to do that. In fact, sometimes my kids say, don't preach at me. You preach on Sundays. Don't preach during the week to me. But the reality is the word of truth is the word of truth. But it's how we gently serve it in truth, with kindness and love, knowing that God's going to work on behalf of his word to bring repentance in the heart of the person who really then can acknowledge that that is true. But it's in how we communicate that truth in our family, friends, that's so important. It's going to require correction, and we know the Word of God does that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we're going to come back to that verse in a minute to say why that's so important. But then building your family on truth requires relationship. You might, you might be saying, you know what, I, I love my family, and truth just sounds so harsh and cold. In fact, truth sounds like something that will separate my family, not unite us together. Wrong. We've already heard the passage about truth. You should know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. How many know our families need to experience some freedom, right? This is what truth does. It doesn't divide families. Yeah, it's going to temporarily cause some rift because truth is corrective, Truth will offend somebody. That's why we live in a world today where you can't, unfortunately, offend anybody with truth. Well, hopefully you're doing it kind enough that it won't immediately offend them, right? But it will be a stumbling for those who don't like what you have to say. I get that. But here's what I also know about truth. It often has to be done in the context of relationship. When you bash somebody on Facebook and you have no relationship, they're not going to receive that from you. Building your family on truth requires that you have a relationship. And guess what? Being truth and establishing truth in your home in the context of relationship actually strengthens your family. Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me show you something about Timothy. Timothy, because Paul's speaking to Timothy, so saying, but you continue in what you have learned. So we know Timothy had a context. Where did he learn that? Because when it comes to understanding this issue of, of faith, it's not so much what, I mean, yeah, it is. We, we want truth to be true on, on, on God's word, so don't miss my point here. But it's not so much what or how or why, as it is who. Let me explain. When Paul was challenging Timothy to continue in that faith, it wasn't even a faith that Paul instilled in Timothy. Paul confirmed it. Paul nurtured it. But where did it start? Let's go back to Timothy, 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 5, as he was praying for Timothy, look at what he says. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Who's he talking about? Not Paul. He's talking about his family. And isn't it interesting that Timothy's faith came from his grandmother and his mother? Can I just tell you that truth is most powerfully taught in the context of relationship, and that relationship is the home. Is the home. 
Paul built upon what Timothy had already learned, but he learned it at the knees of his grandmother and his mother. Ultimately, whose responsibility is it to teach the word of truth to your family? It's not Pastor Rob. It's not Carrie. It's not Gail in our preschool department. It's not our volunteers who spend time with your kids. That responsibility is on the shoulders of parents and grandparents to instill truth in our children, grandchildren, within the context of relationship. Because here's what Josh McDowell once said, that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So we can just change a word out to say truth without the context of relationship can lead to rebellion. But is that truth being shared in your home? I mean, is, is the Bible only cracked open when we're at church? Are the kids ever seeing mom or dad or grandpa or grandma in a posture where they're learning at the feet of Jesus, either through reading the Bible or praying? Are, are the children challenged at all in the area of Scripture? Have you read the Bible with or to your kids or your grandkids? I know, again, the answer is, well, if we just had time, maybe we would, we'd carve it out. You've got the time. It's all about cutting it straight, right? Some of you cut a little time kind of weird. It's about cutting it straight. And here's what I know to be true. Gail, Charity, not Charity, <laughs> Gail and Carrie, and Pastor Rob and Maggie, they invest a lot in the lives of those kids. They love your kids. And what they teach on Sunday is a small fraction of what your kids are learning from you Monday through Sunday. Are they seeing a mom or a dad who has a relationship with the author of the word of truth? And then that truth being applied in the context of everyday life. John 5, 39 says it this way. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. When, the, when it all boils down, friends, do you have a relationship with the me of scripture? And who's the me? Jesus. And is that relationship being displayed in your home to your children in the way that you live your life? That should challenge us as parents and grandparents. Because too often we just kind of push that responsibility off to the church. It's your job. You guys are paid to teach my children spiritually. And friends, that was never the way it was. And if your kids or grandkids grow up on maybe four hours of religious training a month against the countless hours they're going to have in real life, it is a spit in the wind is what it is. That has to be taught and reinforced because truth is most powerfully taught in the context of relationship. And that relationship is family. So families built on the word of truth prevail in the storms of life. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Or you got some coming. Let me just tell you that families built on the word of truth prevail in the storms of life. And I want your family to prevail. I want other families who aren't followers, you just look at your family and go, wow, how in the world did you guys ever make it through that? And you can say, you know how we did it? Our family was rooted on the word of truth. And we stood upon the God we know is true. So do you want to win the most important battle, the battle for your family? Do you, do you want to get through the tough things that you're facing right now? Then get your family anchored on the truth. How do you do that? You integrate the word of truth daily into your family somehow. Somehow. If that means starting with you, then it's got to start with you. And then figure out, is it a Monday night? Is that the night we have a little less things going on? Maybe that's the night we sit down as a family and we kind of read the Bible together. Get a kid's Bible if you have small kids and read from the children's translation. And just begin to show the interest in the word of God. Because if all this talk about God is so important, but it's never seen in home, then friends, we are hypocrites what we are. So begin to integrate the Word of God into your home life, and then do this. Make decisions for your family through the lens of biblical purpose. 
And when opportunities come up and when things bombard your, your, your time or when you have to look at your finances or all these things, you look at the word of truth and you let that determine the decisions you're going to make. But you're going, but I don't know the word of truth. Well, then you better start reading it. And there are, there are principles that are timeless in Scripture that I guarantee you, in fact, I'll just say this, there is no family that I have met yet that ever regrets building their lives upon the truth. But I got a lot of families who have been hurt and broken because they have not built their life upon truth. You want to regret as much of a regret-free life as you can? Then build your life and your family upon truth. No one says, man, what a waste of time. I wish I had never raised my kids to have that kind of biblical, moral view of the world. What a waste of time. Nobody's ever told me that. They've come to me heartbroken when their child is a prodigal living in the world, and they're torn by the decisions their kid is making. And I ask them, what have you done in their childhood to help set a course for their life? This is where real life happens, friends, at home. And that's where the real truth needs to be anchored. And then develop your family values from the word of truth. Use God's word to determine how, what is a family you value. So when it comes to decisions about how active you're going to be in sports and, and post-curricular or after-school events, you'll be able to kind of say, you know what, no, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of carve out time to be a family because we believe family is important. We're going to carve out time to open the Word of God together because we believe that's important. I want my kids to not only know that's important, but to see it in my life. Why? And here's where I'm coming to close. 2 Timothy chapter 3, when, when Paul was talking about the word of God that's useful for correcting and training and rebuking and all those things, he explains why. And here's the bottom line, friends, of why we want to build our homes upon truth. So that the servant of God, so insert a name, so that Chad, so that Kelly Ray, so that Jameson, so that Cambria, so that Tricia, whoever your family members are, so that, fill in the blank, or my family can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the Greek, the, the idea behind thoroughly equipped for every good work was the idea of being prepared for a voyage. Paul traveled by ship oftentimes, and that ship needed to be thoroughly equipped to get them from point A to point B. How many know, as I pray, I want my kids, I want my grandkids, I want my wife to be thoroughly equipped for the voyage of life? Because when those things come, when the seas get high and when the storms churn the water, I want my kid to be thoroughly equipped to navigate through it. And that is why we stand upon the word of truth so that you, your kids, your spouse, your grandkid can be thoroughly equipped for the voyage of life. That's what we need. God's word contains all the truth that we need be thoroughly equipped for the voyage of life. And friends, all of that flows from your commitment as a household to build my family on truth. I loved what Joshua said. When Israel was confronted in the Old Testament with a decision to follow the Baals or follow God, it was Joshua who drew the line in the sand and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, there's going to come a time this week when you're going to have to stand up, cut it straight, and say, you know what, kids? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stand upon the word of truth. And we're going to change our entertainment appetite. We're going to change what we allow to come into our home and fill our media screens. We're going to change the way we talk to each other. I'm going to change the respect and honor I show to my family members because as for me and my house, we're going to stand upon the word of truth. And that, friends, makes all the difference when the storms come. Now you're saying to me, Kelly, man, I I wish I would have heard this 20, 30, 40 years ago because my family already had that storm and it came and it devastated and leveled our house and we're still picking up pieces of the carnage. Can I just tell you right now, it is never too late. Never Never too late. doesn't matter if you're a grandparent and your children live 500 miles away to 1,000 miles. It's never too late. Truth is timeless. 
And here's what I love about the truth that we have as Christians. Truth is personal. His name is God, and he loves you, and he loves your family. And it is never too late. Never. Let's pray. Father, right now, each of us come to this conversation with a history. Maybe it's a history we're proud of. Or maybe it's a history that has caused us great pain. But I pray right now for your truth, which is transcendent. It's timeless. It's unrivaled. For your truth to penetrate the deceptions that we've allowed to create in our homes. That your truth will shine a light on the ways that we have built our families on the sinking sand of our culture. And we wonder why when the storms come that our family falls apart. And then we want to yell at God for not cleaning it up for us when all along we've neglected him in our daily life. We've not taken the time to anchor our family into truth. So God, I pray right now for each grandparent and parent in this room. It is never too late. It is never too late. And let this message begin in us because we know that if we're going to lead our homes well, if we're going to lead our marriages well, then it's got to start here. And that we make the decision today to anchor ourselves in the truth. And then know that by example, we can lead our family through persistence in the context of relationship, through correction with love, that we can bring that truth into our homes. And because of that, we will stand stronger and taller as the storms of life come. Because we know that some of those storms that have come have been self-inflicted storms because we've wasted ourselves on sinking sand. God, help us. Let it start in each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name.